0: In today's episode, you're going to get a lot of practical guidance in how to do the work of inner transformation. And in the process, you're going to get to hear me go through that process with one of today's masters of this kind of transformation, Dick Schwartz, the creator of internal family systems. So in all the ways that you feel like you have parts of you that have maybe different agendas for how you're going to live your life and they're not always working well together, well, today, you're going to figure out how to sort that out and how to be on a path of growth and transformation that leads you to a more full version of who you are. But first, the Relationship Alive podcast is my offering for you to help you have the most amazing relationship possible. If you're finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to help ensure that we can continue. To choose something that feels right for you, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com support, or you can text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And this week, I would like to thank Laura and Laura. Thank you both so much for your generous support of the Relationship Alive podcast. Also, there are a few people whose donations over the past few weeks had sort of slipped through the cracks. So I want to take a moment to acknowledge you as well, because I'm so appreciative. And if you are sitting there wondering, wait, why hasn't he announced my name? I've been contributing. Well, now you know why. Uh, It was a little glitch in my system. So... Sarah, Rana, Mike, Anne, Lydia, David, Cynthia, Angie, Elaney, and Abe, and Kelly. Thank you so much for your ongoing support of the Relationship Alive podcast. Really appreciate it. If you happen to be on Facebook and you'd like to become part of a community of listeners who are all there to support each other in relationship and creating a safe space to grow and learn and heal, you can find the Relationship Alive community in the search bar on Facebook. Uh, Come and join up and we would be psyched to see you there in the Relationship Alive community. And finally, today's show is mostly about inner work. And whether you're communicating with yourself or with your partner, there are certain tricks to showing up in communication that will help you stay connected, no matter how challenging the thing is that you're talking about or that you're dealing with. So to find my guide, it's a free guide to my top three relationship communication secrets. All you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin way back in episode 26 of the relationship alive podcast we spoke with Dick Schwartz who is the founder of internal family systems which is a way of coming to understand how you operate in the world the, the various parts of you that sometimes have very different agendas for you and your life and of course this can have an enormous impact on how you show up in relationship and just how you show up in life in general. And maybe you can relate to what I'm talking about, that feeling that one part of you wants one thing, another part of you wants another thing, and how that can leave us paralyzed or maybe doing things that we're not necessarily proud of or that we didn't expect or that our partners didn't expect. The process of working with your internal family, all of the parts within you and how they interrelate And the process of finding your own self to lead the way. That was what we covered back in episode 26. And this conversation that we're about to have with Dick Schwartz about some of the finer points of internal family systems and how it can be useful for you in your day to day life to see how it's impacting you, all these parts within you, and to give you some really practical new things that you can try to help you get related to how this is impacting you, how it's impacting your relationship. And uh, that's where we're headed today. So I'm very psyched to welcome back to the show Dick Schwartz to talk more about internal family systems. Um, he is the head of the Center for Self-Leadership, trains therapists all over the world, and also has workshops for laypeople to go through the process of self-discovery and healing and integration in bringing all of those parts back into harmony with each other. So Dick Schwartz, thank you so much for joining us again on Relationship Alive.
1: Well, great to talk to you again, Dion. You're a great interview. Well, thank you. Thank you. We'll see.
0: (laughs) I could have gotten worse in the past (laughs) couple of years. Uh Hopefully not. So let's start, you know, I I just gave like a quick synopsis in that introduction. Um, Oh, and by the way, if you want to download the transcript or action guide from this episode you can visit slash self 2 that's the word self and then the number 2 or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions just didn't wanna forget that cuz i'm sure we're going to cover a lot of ground um, but but given what i said already i'm wondering what are what are the salient Points like the, you know, what's your elevator speech about? This is what internal family systems is. This is why it's so important.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've yet to find the perfect elevator speech, but I can elaborate a little bit on what you said. So, it's my belief that we all are multiple personalities. Not in the sense that we have that disorder, but that we all have these what what you were saying. What we all have these parts that are little sub minds inside of us, and I. I mentioned to you that I just wrote a book tracking the history of that in our culture and in psychotherapy, that this idea has been in the field for years and years and comes up and then gets knocked down again. But I'm trying to resurrect it, that that there are these, it's almost like that movie, Inside Out, uh, only with a lot more than just the, the five that were in that movie, where they interact with each other that's what we call thinking often and uh, sometimes one will take over and make us do things we don't want to do like you said and uh, there it's a little inner family or society that most of the time we don't pay much attention to and think of it as just thinking or different emotions coming and going but if you do shift your focus inside uh, most everybody can access their parts and will learn that they're all in there doing their best. Many of them uh, are frozen in time in the past during traumas or uh, what in psychotherapy we call attachment injuries of in your family. So they're as extreme as they had to be back there to protect you. And those are often the ones that we don't like and try to get rid of, but you can't really get rid of them. And when you try, they just get stronger, usually. Uh, and in addition to all these parts, and the other thing I'll say about the parts is that the good news is they're all valuable. It's sort of like we're built with this inner multiplicity to help us in our lives. And they Even the very extreme ones that that screw up your life can transform once they feel witnessed by you and you can help them out of where they're stuck in the past. And then they become very valuable qualities. Uh, The other good news is that as I was exploring all this, I ran into what we'll call the self, which is almost a different level of entity inside of everyone that can't be damaged and has all the capacity you need to heal these parts. And uh, when I work with people, I help them access that first, that essence, that that vital resource, and from that place uh, begin to work with their parts. And when people access their self, we were talking about leadership earlier, they just naturally have qualities like curiosity and calm and we call the eight C's of self-leadership. Compassion, courage, confidence, clarity, connectedness, and there's one I just forgot.
0: Curiosity, calm,
1: and uh, confidence. Did you say that? Confidence. I don't think I said confidence. Okay. Compassion. Compassion. I did say compassion. Okay. So (laughs) those are are what we call the eight C's of self-leadership. And it turns out Everybody, at their essence, uh, when when that's accessed, experiences those qualities in others, and from that place has a kind of wisdom about how to heal themselves emotionally. So that's as close to an elevator speech as I can get, I think.
0: Okay, and, and a couple questions. So, um, first, is that even true for kids? Like, do kids have a self-energy that helps them heal their parts, or...?
1: Yeah, yes, very much. And we use this model a lot with kids. There's a book on IFS with kids fairly recently. And uh, it's quite amazing because you would think that that self has to develop. But even in very young kids, you can access that place. And they, from that place, they don't know how to do a lot of things in the outside world, but they do know how to heal themselves and relate with loving kindness to these different parts such that the parts will transform.
0: Yeah. Um, the other thing I was curious about was whether you could offer an example, just so we, people know what we're talking about. Can you think of a, a time or someone you worked with where they had a part that was really destructive and what that transformed into through, um, through working with that part and healing, just as an example of how that
1: works? yeah well there are many, many many because I'm a therapist and i've I specialized in the treatment of severe complex trauma for years. so uh, I worked with people who had uh, intense suicidal parts, for example, or uh, parts that wanted to hurt them in other ways and would cut them or you know and and then parts that were rageful and would hurt other people and I spent uh, seven years using this model with sex offenders too, so, and I'm here to say that all of those parts, including the sex offenders, when uh, approached with compassion and curiosity would reveal the secret history of how they got into the role they were in in the client and how much they hated to do what they needed, what they were doing, but they were, carrying these beliefs and emotions from their past experiences that drove them to do those things. And in understanding that and also getting them out of where they were stuck in the past, they were all uh, able to transform. So if I'm working with a suicidal client, for example, and I would ask or I'd have the client ask the part why it wanted to kill them, and it would say, well, if I don't kill you, you're going to continue to suffer the rest of your life. And I would say, well, if we could get her out of her suffering in a different way, would you have to kill her? And the part would say, no, but I, I don't think you can do that. And I would say, okay, well, give me a chance to show that we can. And then we would do that. We would heal the parts that are suffering so badly. And you come back and now the suicidal part is happy to not to step out of this role and we help it into another role, which often is the exact opposite of what the protector the protective part's been in, and in the case of suicide, it's often a now the part wants to help you enjoy life in different ways, so that would be an example
0: wow, wow, um, and so powerful because I think one um misconception that someone might have would be like a part like that well you gotta like you gotta get that out of there somehow you know that there's yeah. you know get and rid of the harming part
1: that's right that's that's the way our mental health system and our culture has viewed these things not as as uh, entities trying their best but in misguided ways to protect us but as destructive impulses that we have to get rid of and you know uh, the level of suicide is going up, and uh, levels of addiction, and it, it all is because we tend to go to war against these parts. And when you do that, they think you don't get how dangerous it is, and they'll up there, they'll up the ante, and they'll kick your butt. They, you can't beat them most of the time. Yeah, and
0: you offer. An example in one of your books that I was reading about like imagining you're on a boat and you have a part that is convinced that something is true, and the only way they're going to keep the boat upright is by leaning out the side of the boat. And then there's this opposing part that thinks basically the exact opposite and they're leaning out the other way. And the more you try and, and, uh, adjust one or the other, they, instead of coming both in to like, you know, share tea and crumpets under the mast of the boat, it tends to push them out to further, further to the, to the edges, leaning off the sides. Um,
1: yeah. So when you find when any part gets extreme in one direction, there usually will be a part that'll get extreme in the opposite direction. It's what we call polarization. And you, you, know, you find it in other levels of system, for example, our country right now is highly polarized, such that the more uh, I as a therapist or anybody sides with one side, the more extreme the other part has to get because they think the boat's gonna collapse if they don't lean out in the opposite way. And so a lot of what we try to do is get to know each side with curiosity and compassion And then help them come into the boat and trust that it's safe to do that and get to know each other in a different way and see that they actually have things in common. They both have the survival of the boat in common, for example, and then help them find a new relationship. And the best person to do that isn't the therapist, it's the client's self. So frequently we're helping people access the self and then from that place become their own inner therapist to these polarized parts.
0: Yeah, and that's something that's noticeably different about internal family systems, that um, the role of the therapist. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about why that's so important to, to usher your, your clients into being in self-energy and then from that place, more or less doing their own therapy.
1: Well, as you're saying, that's probably the biggest difference between IFS and most other therapies, and that is that rather than me, the therapist, being the good attachment figure might be one way to think of it, to the client and to the client's very insecure or or, uh, hurt parts, and so that my relationship with the client becomes the the fulcrum of their healing, Uh, it's my relationship is important in the sense that if I can be in what I'm calling self energy that allows the client to feel safe enough to drop their guard, their protective parts relax and allows them to access self and then in that state they become the primary caretaker to their parts, the primary attachment figure which uh, is very empowering for clients and they they can do it on their own between sessions, and it becomes a kind of life practice that way, rather than there being this intense dependence on the therapist. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, one of the cases that you write about is, involves treating someone with bulimia, and, and you detail how 14 sessions, and this woman was in, in charge, basically, of her life again, and... Um, I don't know what happened to that particular person, but it was um, there's something magical to it, it, and it makes a lot of sense as well. Not magical and like like fantasy, but more like oh yeah, like that makes total sense when people feel empowered that way to work with the parts in them that otherwise were running the show.
1: Um, yeah, that's part of why this is often uh, takes less time than others because. As I say, people are doing this work on their own between sessions and many of my sessions, the client comes in and the first 10, 15 minutes, they're just catching me up on everything they've been doing at home. And uh, then we go in and we do some more and then they they take it from there. So. So
0: quick stepping out a moment. And because I, I know this comes up as a therapist and it also comes up in life. Um, when you're when you're interacting with other people's parts, so um, I think you use the term blended. So when someone is blended with their part, they're you know they're being that rageful part or that inconsiderate or mean or whatever it is. What what's a way that you use to stay in? Self energy, compassionate, uh-huh. curious, et cetera, in the yeah. face of someone being potentially really offensive or um, inappropriate um, and, and maybe I, I mean this more in terms of interpersonally, you know out yeah. in the world versus in the in the um, treatment room?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I've had a lot of practice given the case, the kinds of clients that I was talking about because they often have parts that as you get close enough to them to do any damage, suddenly their rage will come at you and and they've been watching you for session after session and they know your weaknesses and they find just the right thing to say. These clients would be labeled borderline personality, which is a very pejorative way of thinking of somebody. It's a lot better to just think of them as having this protective rage that isn't going to let you get close enough. And so I've had... Many, many practice sessions of, you know, immediately noticing the parts of me that come to protect me and defend me. And then in the moment now, not before, but now I, in the moment, can notice those parts and ask them to just let me handle this, to just let me stay. And I'll feel this shift from my heart being fully closed up and my you know, urge to lash out, that'll immediately kind of evaporate. And I'll feel my heart open again, and I'll be able to see sort of past the protector and the client to the pain that's driving it. So I'll have compassion. And I'll be able to stay calm and simply that presence... Is very diffusing for these rageful parts. And, you know, whatever I say, if it comes from that place, is going to de escalate rather than escalate.
0: Mm. So, and you notice that huge difference between when you're coming from self energy versus a logical,
1: rational manager type part. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can do that with most anybody now except my wife. So <laughs> when, I, when she and I get into it, I just notice these parts coming in. I know that it's going to make it worse, but I can't get them to step back because, uh, you know, she can hurt me like nobody else. Yeah. But, and, and then we've learned ways of repairing that afterwards. But, yeah, when the protectors, even if it's a kind of logical, rational one, which doesn't seem so bad, just inflames her angry part, mm. and and my angry part really sets things off. So, uh, so anyway, yeah,
0: um, yeah. I do want to mention that we did have. Uh, Tony Herbine Blank on the show to talk about intimacy from the inside out which is oh, great. the way um, she applies IFS to couples work um, and for you listening that's episode 52 that you can mm-hmm. refer back to um, I, yeah and I'm curious because full disclosure I see an IFS therapist my wife sees an IFS therapist <laughs> and um, yeah, so I'm a little biased here in, in uh, support
1: honored to hear that Neil
0: yeah and um and this the language of you know are you like are you coming from self right now like that that is that permeates our relationship, um particularly you know, when things when things happen. um so I know you were just saying that you know, all bets are off when you're with your wife, but I am curious if you have um yeah two two important things here. one is, is there a way that you've found reliably to suggest like, Hey, wait a minute. Like we're not self to self in this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Ahead. And that, that's been a, a godsend. At, at, you know, at some point one of us will say, okay, let's just take a time out and work with our parts and come back when we can be more self led and, and we do it. So that really is, uh, Diffuse things. And then the next step, and probably Tony talked about this too, is to come back and what we call speak for rather than from the parts that were were protecting us, but also speak for the pain or the fear or the shame that was driving those protectors. Hmm. And when I can speak for what I call my exiles, those parts that, that I locked up in the past because they were so hurt or scared or ashamed. When I can speak from self for those parts, then my wife Jean can hear that rather than when I'm speaking from those parts that try to defend me because they're so afraid that I'll feel ashamed and so on.
0: mm Wow, so many possibilities right now, bump, bumping through my brain <laughs> about where to go. Um, one loose end from, from earlier in this conversation, when, when someone comes to you and they're convinced that they, they are defective or that they don't have the resource within them, maybe they don't have that experience of self-energy that shows them that it's possible— what what do you do to help them see like actually you got you are the one that you need right now
1: yeah so a lot of people start out that way and so
0: right because they're thinking if i had all the answers i wouldn't be so fucked up like right yeah
1: and and they've never had that experience of what we call self they've never they've never felt it in their lives so Mm -hmm. why would they think they have it and They've been told by their families or uh, that they don't have anything like that, that they're good for nothing. So they come in really believing that. And I'll say, I know there are parts of you that don't believe that's in there. But if you give me a shot, I can prove that it is. And by that I mean I'd say, okay, let's find the part that has this belief and ask it if it'd be willing to just... Give us a little space in there and see what happens. And, you know, if I'm in self and and uh, my client has some degree of trust, uh, and I'll say just for a second, it can come back immediately, then the client will have this palpable experience of all that uh, self-criticism, getting a little bit of, a, of space from it, and... With that often will come some little taste of self. You never get full self, but just a little bit of a difference. And then I'll ask another part to step back and so on. And often you'll come to some key ones that have been running things and asking them to step back is more of a challenge because they'll say, you know, if I step back, there's not going to be anybody left. And I'll say, you know, I, I know you believe that, but I guarantee you're wrong and Again, I would love it if you just give me a chance to prove that. And you'll actually like who comes forward, and it'll be a big relief to you. So I'm nothing if not a kind of uh, what I call a hope merchant or a salesman. I'm selling hope to hopeless systems. <laughs> and if they buy it at all, they're eager. They they would love to have somebody in there that is self to, to run things. They're, they're like what in family therapy we call parentified children. You know, they're like the kids who, when parents weren't available, had to run things, and they're tired. So they're dying for somebody capable to take over. They just don't think it's possible. So
0: could we talk for a moment about just the different categories of parts that might make it easier for for you to, to recognize the, the different roles that that your parts play within you, and then maybe we'll chat about a way that that someone listening could, you know, after we're done, um, just sit and figure out their cast of characters or like get get related to some of their the parts that are operating within them. But what are some of the the general categories that you see that that are most significant in and how we operate?
1: Yeah, and and the the word uh, roles is very important to remember because. Uh, too often, other people, when they've come up with category systems, they describe the category as if it were the part. But in this system, these are the roles that the parts have been forced into by what happened to you in your life. And so there are there's really one big distinction, and that's between the parts of you that usually were the most sensitive, sort of the these inner children who before they're hurt, are delightful and creative and uh, innocent and trusting and so on. But after they're hurt, they now carry what we call the burdens from the, the trauma or the betrayal. And so now they're, they carry a lot of pain or mistrust or fear and uh, shame and now we don't want anything to do with them because we assume that that's just a a hurt feeling or that's just a, a shame feeling and so we tend to try and lock them away inside in inner abysses or caves or jails so we call these the exiles and most all of us partly because of these beliefs about who we are from our culture have a bunch of exiles And when you get a bunch of exiles, the world suddenly becomes a lot more dangerous because anybody can trigger you. And if you get hurt in a similar way again, all that past pain and the parts that are stuck in those past scenes come roaring out and and take over and take you down and make it so you can't function often. And so there's a tremendous fear of the exiles and they're being triggered and so to keep that from happening other parts are forced into the role of being protectors and some of them are trying to protect you and those exiles by managing your life so that nothing similar ever happens again and you don't you know manage your relationships so you don't get too close to anybody or too distant from people you depend on and Manage your appearance so you look good all the time. Manage your your performance. And so these are parts that sometimes find themselves in the role of inner critic because they're criticizing you to try and prod you to do better or look better or, or they might be criticizing you to keep you from taking risks so you don't get hurt. But there's lots of other common manager roles. So there are caretaking managers that... Uh, try to take care of everybody else and don't let you take care of yourself and, and so on and so on. But they're all a bunch of often pretty young parts who are now forced to, to do this role they're not equipped to do. And then the last category of protector, there's these managers of the first, are parts that if an exile does get triggered, have to go into action to deal with that emergency. And often have to therefore be very impulsive and and uh, damn the torpedoes! I'm going to get you to do something that's going to take you away from this right now, and get you higher than the pain, or or uh, douse it with douse the shame with some kind of substance, or distract you somehow, or, and so these we call firefighters. They're fighting the flames of pain and shame and terror that come out of these exiles. And they're kind of the unsung heroes because most of the time they do things that get us more attack or shame, but they're just doing their job because they know if they don't do it, the, the boat's going to sink. So meaning so,
0: they're doing things like, um, you know, indulging in addictions or sexual compulsion right. or
1: right right yeah. all of those things you know some of us have more socially sanctioned uh, firefighters like work <laughs> so, as one of my uh so we don't get as much actually we get accolades for that but um but right except maybe my, from
0: your partner who's like where the hell are you you're exactly, working all the time
1: <laughs> exactly right but uh most of my clients, firefighters, have been either destructive to them or to other people, and so they hate themselves for having them. And often, are you know, the people around them are critical of them for having them. And all again, all of that shaming, both internal shaming and external shaming, just adds to the load of these exiles, which creates more work for the firefighters that then brings on more attack from the managers. So we're most people, addicts and so on, are in that loop where the the harder they try to sit on the addiction through, you know, discipline or self-blame, the more that firefighter feels like it's gotta do its job. And, you know, you can sort of pump up the managers to the point where they will sit on the firefighters and the exiles. But that's what people call a dry drunk. That's a person who becomes very rigid and the slightest thing could trigger them off the wagon. So that's not the kind of, uh, you know, healing that we're looking for.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, the word shame has come up several times. What is the healing path for shame?
1: Yeah, so shame is usually uh, minimally a two-part phenomena. There's a part that says you're bad, and then there's this part, which is usually an exile, that believes that you're worthless. So before we'll go to that exile, we'll go to the the critic, the, the one who says you're bad, first, and let it know we get it's trying to protect and get it to give us permission to go to the exile. And once we get to that exile we'll ask it we'll have the self ask where it got the shame in the past and why it feels so bad about itself and then people begin to witness scenes from their past where they were shamed and or humiliated or made to feel worthless and how terrifying that was or and how uh, how that part just kind of bought into it then and thought they were a total loser. And then how other parts had to combat that the rest of their life. Uh, And just that witnessing, once you see, and I don't mean get it intellectually, but I actually mean see it and sense it and feel, almost like reliving it but not being overwhelmed by it. Once you really get what happened and how bad it was, then the part finally feels like you get it, and we know where to have you go into the past in a kind of literal way in this inner world and be with that boy in the way he needed when the shaming thing happened and often take him out of there to a safe place where now he's willing to give up the shame.
0: Yeah, so there's this this quality of hanging on this is the the burden right hanging right. on to the shame right and through being willing to be present with that parts experience and to do something i don't know why the word heroic is coming to mind but something that you that an it had an adult had a caring compassionate courageous adult been there that they would have done. Exactly. If you can do that, then that part of you is getting what it needs, the the exiled part and no longer requires the shame.
1: That's right. Yeah. So people say you can't change the past, but it turns out in this inner world you can. So the parts literal experience once, you go into the seed like if you did that for some part of you, Neil, and you were there with that boy in the way they needed, he needed, and you maybe, uh, you know, stood up for him against your father, for example. How that, did you
0: know that was what I was thinking about?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so good, I'm psychic. <laughs> and and he watched you do that. That literally changes in that part's experience, what happened to him. And he now becomes attached to you as the the caretaker rather than depending on his father anymore. And now he's willing to leave with you and let you have this ongoing new relationship with him where you take care of him every day, which, you know, usually doesn't require more than just a little check-in to see how he's doing. So, And yes, and then once that's all complete, these parts are more than happy to give up these extreme beliefs and emotions like shame that they've been carrying for whatever it is, 40 years.
0: Yeah, and this is why it just seems like it's so important to recognize the personhood of these parts within you, Um, to see them that way as like a an individual worthy of curiosity, compassion, respect.
1: Yeah, Um, and that's a tough sell in this culture because multiplicity has been pathologized over and over, both by the idea that uh, multiplicity or multiple personality disorder is, is a disorder, it's a scary syndrome, and by just our kind of rational culture that says, it's preposterous to have these little beings inside of us so it's been an uphill battle to try and uh make this idea uh sink in on the one hand i love it because
0: it's so empowering and um and more and more you know i hear from From listeners or clients, people in relationship where they're like, "Yeah, I'm with someone who's, uh, you know, they have borderline personality disorder. I'm pretty sure they're a narcissist, or you know, like there's this, um, there's some relief to to knowing what might be going on with the other people in your life, maybe with yourself as well. Um, Though I don't know how many people are like, you know, what I think I'm a narcissist." and at the same time, what I hear you saying is that, that everyone has this capacity for healing um, if they're willing to, to honor these parts within them that are, that are causing the behavior that we see.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, again, I haven't worked with everyone, but everyone I've worked with, and I've worked with people that have been written off as uh, sociopaths or uh, various other labels and you know they have protective parts that fit the profile but when those parts step back they have everything else like everybody else so yeah I bristle at all those diagnostic labels the it's like we take a, a, a person's most extreme and maybe destructive part and say that that's who they are and That doesn't give you much, uh, much hope.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so what do you offer someone who, like, let's say they're in a relationship with someone who is exhibiting narcissistic uh, tendencies? Um, I think for, for those people, there's often this quandary of like, you know, seeing experiencing the destructive behavior, maybe seeing, um, you know, especially if there's someone you love, then you tend to also see their capacity, their potential for amazingness. Um, and yet yeah, there's so, this question about, do I really stay in this? Do I go? Do I make give this person an ultimatum? Matum? Like, you got this part, you got to heal it or else I'm out of here. <laughs>
1: you know, how does that yeah. work? Well, sometimes it takes something like that uh, but you can do it from self. So there is what we call a self-led confrontation where, and I've done this with people I'm close to and also clients, where you can, you can see that there's a part that dominates them that doesn't serve them and is also getting in your, the relationship you're in with them in the way. And, but there's a way to say that to them with an open heart that is much more likely to sink in than if you say it from a protective part of you that's so annoyed with the the person and also sees them as, quote, unquote, a narcissist or whatever monolithic label uh, you've been encouraged to see the person as. So, it, you know, when I'm with someone like that, again, it's like X-ray vision. I can see the pain that's driving the protector, and I can try to speak to both. I mean, even with our current president, which is a challenge, you know that there's just a bundle of exiles in there that drives all this stuff. And if you can hold that perspective, then you can you can speak from a loving place, even to very difficult things. Now, that doesn't mean you need to stay with that person if they're, uh, that part is constantly hurting you, and that's a whole different topic of whether or not to stay, but... Um, It is, the point I'm trying to make is that it's possible, even with people like that, to uh, stand up for your parts without alienating them.
0: So what kind of work, internal work, would you suggest someone do to get to self in order to have that kind of conversation from a self-led place?
1: Yeah, well, there's an exercise that I'll do with groups where you could take such a person and put them in a room in your mind that's contained with a window. And so you're outside the room looking at that person from outside and have them do the thing that gets to you and then notice the parts that get immediately triggered and come to your defense. As you notice them, start to get to know them and what they're afraid would happen if they didn't jump up to protect you that way. And then you'll learn about the exiles they protect. And then you can actively ask each of them if they'd be willing to just give you a little bit of space, not so you're going into the room with that person, but so you can look at them without the influence of all this protective stuff. And if they're willing, the person, again, will notice this palpable shift and I'll have the client, the person, look again in the room, and again they, when you see through the eyes of self, you have a very different view. The person looks different, less menacing, and the client, the person will often say, "I, I kind of feel sorry for him," whereas seconds earlier they were terrified of him or hated him. So uh, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's an example of what we can do.
0: Yeah, and it seems like that, so that's giving someone an experience, a direct experience of that person when they're in self that then they can bring to a real life encounter.
1: Exactly, yeah, and, but to really pull it off, you have to return to your parts and find the exiles that get triggered by such a person so much and do the healing we talked about earlier. With those exiles, because it's really hard to pull it off if your exiles are still vulnerable to that person. Yeah, yeah. So, can we get
0: clear too on some of the some of the terminology, like when we talk about asking a part to step back, or even just asking a part anything, you know, (laughs) much less, um, you know, what are you afraid will happen, et cetera. Um, How's that process work? Is that something that what are the different ways it can work, I guess, because I'd love for our listeners to be able to um, get a sense of how this process could go, um, at least well, to w- the extent that they could do without guidance.
1: You want to do a little piece uh, together as an example, Neil? That'd be great. Do you have a part you'd like to start with?
0: Um, let's see. Is there one? There's not one that's like jumping up immediately. Um, maybe help me help me get there
1: okay is there something in your relationship your intimate relationship that gets in the way Uh uh-oh chloe Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um
0: yeah let's talk about um the the desire to work like for me that Mm -hmm. was an example you used earlier and that Uh that's true for me as well like especially because I can feel like, oh, there's, there's always more um, right. to do. So it's hard to just close the door and, and step into time with my lovely, amazing wife, who would love to see more of me, I'm sure. Fair
1: I know that goes. because
0: she tells me. But.
1: Right. <laughs> it's very similar. So focus on that part that's pushing you to work all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And find it in your body around your body
0: yeah so for me, it's like right in kind of solar plexus area. there's a like a heat and a tension there.
1: Okay, and as you notice it, how do you feel toward it?
0: Um, well i I guess I'm a little bit um, a little bit annoyed. Um, Mm -hmm. and also at the same time, I'm like, wow, there you are. Like you're, you're, um, that was easy to see you there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's see if the, the part of you who's so annoyed or a little bit annoyed would be willing to relax a little bit and step back in there so we can just get to know the work part. Cause it's hard to get to know it if you're annoyed with it yeah just see if that's possible
0: yeah he's he's trusting you right now so so yes he'll step
1: step aside for a moment relax I think he liked that word yeah we'll use that word then relax and then focus again now on the work part and tell me how you feel toward it now um
0: Wow. So what I just experienced was another part coming in, being like, "Wow, I can't believe you're not working with me right now." Like, I I've really needed some time and attention.
1: Um, okay. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Do you want to shift, or do you want to ask that one to relax too?
0: Um, let's go into that because that's that feels potent for me, and it's just around um, you know the well being of my kids and. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my listeners know that I've been through divorce. I have my kids half time. I love them, and uh, yeah, there's just something about wanting the best for them in a in a complex world, and being afraid that that they'll get hurt.
1: Okay, good. So, where do you find this one in your body, around your body? Mm-hmm.
0: That one feels like a really intense kind of welling up in my face, um, like a pre-tears kind of feeling. And I'm also noticing like a hollowness in my belly.
1: Okay, and how do you feel toward this part as you notice it, those places? Mm, I really wanna help this part. Yeah, so let it know that and just see how it reacts to your your caring for it. No, how do I let it know? that just just tell it inside just say I really want to help you mm, okay so just just see how it reacts
0: so in telling that part I really want to help you um, he feels like more teary. And, um, and I also feel relief, like, like, um, like he would say, I'm not alone. I'm relieved That's that right. I'm
1: not alone. That's right. You know, let him know he isn't alone anymore. Yeah. And see now what he wants you to know about himself. And don't think of the answer. Just wait for answers to come.
0: So he says, I know the pain of being hurt and I want to save these children
1: from that pain. Does that make sense, Neil? Yeah. So let them know you get that. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That you value that. Yeah.
0: It's huge. He's a huge resource for those kids. That's right. And and I just see, too, that there's... Like, I recognize times when that fear that they're not going to be okay is running the show. Yeah. And that... That's chal- that, that sometimes works out and other times it's like, it definitely can keep me from being in self energy around things that are challenging.
1: Yeah, so see if, if he's interested in unloading some of that fear and pain that he carries from the past. Mm. Just ask him that.
0: He says, if you think that's possible, then sure.
1: Oh, tell him it's totally possible.
0: Totally possible. Dick says so. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe it too. I do.
1: And tell him to show you, let you feel without overwhelming you. And sense what happened to give him all that. And Neil, you can share with us what you get or keep it private. It's up to you.
0: yeah well so what i'm seeing are you know experiences of confusion and pain um, from different parts of my childhood that that didn't make a lot of sense and and it's just kind of funny haha that this does relate more to my father you know Mm -hmm. From what we were talking about before, um, in this moment, that's what this part is showing me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just stay with it. Is it okay to see all this, Neil? Yeah. So tell him you're 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 getting it, and it's okay to really let you get it all. And just stay with it, and tell, encourage him to really let you f- feel it and sense it and see it. How bad it was for him.
0: Yeah, and in that, I notice. You know, there's almost like a trembling happening in
1: my body. And let that happen. Just let your body move the way it needs to. Okay. It's all good. It's all part of the witnessing. (sighs) Just stay with it.
0: Yeah. I can feel I can feel that pain for sure. Okay. Yeah. And and what I'm noticing is also that it's that it's not overwhelming me. It's more like I'm getting the tears, I'm getting the trembling, but I'm not losing touch with us here having this conversation or mm-hmm. anything like that.
1: And ask him if he feels like you're getting this. If that's this is what he wanted you to feel, and sense and see, or if there's more.
0: Uh, he he says no. This is this is it. And 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 in saying that, I also felt this like really quick shift to calmness in my body.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so he's relieved. So yeah, ask him if he's most stuck in one of those scenes or if it's the whole time period we need to get him out of. Mm. I, he's like, if you could get me out of the whole shebang, that would be great. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do what we can. All right. All right, so Neil, I'd like you to go into that time period and be with that boy in the way he needed somebody at the time. And just tell me when you're in there with him. Yeah, okay, I'm there. How are you being with him?
0: Um, I'm taking a stand and saying, um, this is not okay.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And to, your, to your father? To my father.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great.
0: And uh, and I p- I placed myself physically between the young me and, and my father.
1: And let me ask you, do you see yourself doing that, or are you just there doing it, and you see him and your father? Whew, that's a tough one. Um,
0: it feels like it's kind of going back and forth.
1: All right, so see if you can just be there without seeing yourself. Okay. And keep doing that, whatever the boy needs, just keep keep uh, doing that for him,
0: yeah, so there so I'm there saying this is not okay. And then what feels like it really wants to happen is I turn to to grab the boy and pick him up and just um, and just take him take him out of there. Yeah,
1: yeah, let's do that. Let's take him somewhere safe and comfortable he'd enjoy. Could be in the present, could be a fantasy place, wherever he'd like to be. Mm. So I'm
0: asking him where he would like to be. Perfect. And... Uh... I think he wants to just hang out in place with his Star Wars figures. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm like, okay, can we? Where can we do that? Can we do that here and now? And I'm I'm imagining bringing him here into the room where I sit. Great. And uh, which is really convenient because my son has all my old Star Wars figures, so I can, <laughs> can grab some of those. Great. Uh, yeah, so we're here now, and he's just doing that, and, and it's we're, we're away from whatever was happening.
1: Good. And how does he seem now?
0: Well, it's interesting because he seems a lot younger than when I was interacting with him as the part that was fearful for my kids. Uh-huh. Um but he seems happy to be here and happy that I'm willing to play with him and and he seems relieved like That's that great. was just that was that was hard for him, and he's it was a pretty quick turn though to just like be here and be like be safe
1: good and and see if now that he never has to go back there and you're going to take care of him if he's ready to unload the feelings and beliefs he got from those times
0: i think he says he's not sure what they are but yes he's ready
1: Okay, well, he could just check his body and see if there's anything he carries that doesn't belong to him. Mm.
0: Yeah, there's the, that, like, he's calling it, like, that weird feeling in my belly, that,
1: like, trembly flutteriness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is he ready to unload that? Yeah. And ask him what he'd like to give it up to. Light, water, fire, wind, earth, anything
0: else? Um, yeah, he's like, I, I, want it to just, like, get dissolved in light.
1: Okay. So bring in the light and have that happen. Have let him tell him to let that all dissolve out of his stomach and stay with that until it's gone.
0: Yeah, the feeling is gone. And I'm also noticing that that, the hollowness I was experiencing in my belly before is it feels like warm and full and that feels really
1: important to me. That's great. Yeah. And tell him now if he'd like to, he can invite into his body qualities they'll need in the future and you can just see what comes into them now
0: he says he wants to, it's it's almost like um it's a cleverness and a the word that's popping into my head is mischief, uh-huh. but like a playful mischief. Uh huh.
1: Um, yeah. So time to invite that in. Yeah. And
0: actually, and and just like, like a relaxed happiness, mm-hmm. like contentment. I think is what it is. Yeah.
1: So how does he seem now? Seems really happy. It's great. Yeah. And then before we stop, bring in the one who was so annoyed with him originally, so it can see that he's different now, and see how it reacts.
0: Hmm. Well, the annoyed. I think that might have been more around the work part.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. So. Yeah. Okay so maybe think about your your uh, kids now yeah and see how it feels
0: yeah I feel really confident that I'm doing right by them good okay yeah
1: you ready to come back
0: I am that was great. Thank you. That was
1: that was very cool. Thank you for having the courage to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, A little window into Neil's psyche. <laughs> 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 into the intra-psychic space. Um, one thing that I wanted to highlight that you said that feels important is when you talked about experiencing the feelings without being overwhelmed, yeah. um, you know, particularly if someone is doing this inner work on their own, yeah, like being willing to um, like having that be part of the dialogue with their parts, like I want to see what you got, and you don't you don't need to overwhelm me,
1: yeah. so that was a big discovery, uh, maybe twenty five years ago that parts can control how much they overwhelm because mm. the trauma field and a lot of psychotherapy has just assumed that if you open that door, you're going to be flooded and there's not much you can do about it other than practice these grounding skills endlessly and so on. But it turns out that if you simply in advance of going to an exile ask it to not overwhelm and it agrees not to, it won't. And so we can do what we, The kind of thing we just did with you Uh, without a huge fear of that overwhelm happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think some people are, like, afraid to open the door. Like, I'm not going to go there because that's just too much for me. And they've probably experienced what that too much feeling is like, at least once in their lives, right?
1: Exactly right. Yeah, they've experienced when they opened the door, they were flooded, they couldn't get out of bed, they, you know, were horribly depressed, and they swore never again. So... It's, it's a tough sell <laughs> in such clients to allow them to believe that that's, it's possible to not do that and the exile itself to its you know, defense it's desperate <laughs> to get some attention so if you open the door it's going to jump out and totally take over for fear of being locked up again mm. but if it trusts that it's not going to be locked up and you'll listen to it it doesn't need to overwhelm you
0: yeah yeah and because that the worrying part wasn't really a part of that thread we didn't really get to go there but i'm 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 guessing there's something similar that happens i mean i'm not guessing i okay i know but uh, <laughs> there's something similar that happens with a manager yes and, where they also get to be relieved of the burden of the protection and to be infused with um, some qualities that that gives them that new assignment, the new
1: role. Exactly. You know, they're they're also stuck back in that those same scenes where they took on the role of protecting that boy, and they need to be retrieved that same way and unburdened. And when that happens, then they're freed up to to do something entirely different that they're much more designed to do. Yeah. And that they enjoy. Yeah.
0: Um, I feel like it's important to say, just because we did that work around my father, that my dad's a good guy. (laughs) 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 You know, in case in the off chance he's listening or that people who know him are listening. And, um, you know, every what I've noticed as a parent is that it actually is, you know, their kids have things that hurt them. You know, it's just happens. So.
1: Yeah, that happens. Per- and, you know, a lot, like my father, who isn't alive anymore, but had a lot of untreated PTSD from mm. World War II. Mm. So, you know, everybody's got trauma and everybody's got extreme parts. And when they raise their kids, those parts get triggered. Yeah. And my father was a great guy also in many different ways.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, one last thing, and, I, you know, I just appreciate how – how wide our conversation has gone and and uh, and your willingness to do that process with me as well, which I think was very um, illustrative. Um, you've mentioned that your clients that they they have like a, a routine or a check-in that they do, um, that that helps them kind of do the work as part of their daily lives. And I'm wondering, yeah. What could that look like for someone if they wanted to incorporate something like that into their daily life?
1: Yeah, it's you know, for some people, it's as simple as just a ten-minute meditation where you, you know, you can incorporate it into what you already do for meditating. But just start by finding, you know, in your case, it would be finding this boy, and just make sure that he's still in that good place, and see if he needs anything, and in some times it takes you know just a few seconds and he is doing well and and uh, other times he does need more or he feels like you abandon him and you got to listen to that and and help him with it so uh but most everybody can do this on a daily basis it becomes a kind of life practice not just checking with that part but you know with all your parts and just noticing what they need and taking care of them the way you might take care of your external children. Although again, they don't nearly need as much as your external (laughs) children. So, so often it's just a a matter of minutes. Yeah. There's a woman named Michelle Glass who wrote a book on, uh, on the daily practice side of it. I can't pull up the name of that book right now, but you can find it on our website.
0: Yeah. So your website is selfleadership.org. And, Dick, you um, you also just recently came out with a book that you were telling me about before we hopped on the line here. Um, what is that called, and what's it about?
1: Yeah, it's it's. I co-authored it with a guy named Bob Falconer, and it's called Many Minds, One Self, uh, and it's about ushering in this this radically different paradigm of multiplicity and that there is this self in there too. And so it's sort of substantiating these positions I take by going through the history of our culture, the history of psychotherapy, different branches of science, and showing how often the idea that the mind is naturally multiple comes up and gets pushed down, and then also Going through uh, each major religion and particularly the the more uh, esoteric or uh, contemplative branches of those religions, and seeing how every one has a word for self, uh, but it's a different word. But they're all talking about the same thing that I stumbled onto many many years ago. That that's in there, and uh, some systems call it the soul or or Buddha Nature, or Atman, or various names for it, but uh, I try, we tried to cover in some depth all, all of that. Mm, great,
0: and is that available through your website, and is it on Amazon as well, or?
1: I'm not sure it's on Amazon yet, it just came out. Oh, okay, great. It, it will be soon, but yeah, you can certainly get it from the website.
0: Great, and we'll have links to that book, your other, your website, um, and the Michelle Glass book that you just mentioned. Um,
1: and, and one more book, if you don't mind. No, go ahead, please. Yeah, I co-authored another book with a guy named Frank Anderson and Martha Sweezy, uh, which is a kind of workbook for applying IFS to trauma, since we've been talking about that today, that that just came out, too, through PESI, capital P-E-S-I.
0: Great. Great. So that's more for the uh, the therapists in our Therapist. audience? Okay. Yes. Great. Therapist great and if, and if people want to find out more about getting IFS training or finding an IFS therapist is that through the selfleadership.org website
1: or that, that's right there's a whole uh, section on those those issues
0: great great um, one last point of curiosity so we've talked about the self and uh, the qualities that if you know if you're coming from uh, a place that's compassionate creative curious then then you're in self energy um, is there like a, a quick exercise that you have people to do to help them kind of just get a sense of like this is the the inner diaspora of of characters that are that are there within you that you can get to know over time?
1: Yeah, there there's something we call parts mapping, for example, where just to describe it very quickly, I would have you start with a part and it might be the same one you started with or a different one. And just stay present to it until you could, for example, uh, draw it in some form or another on a a page, and then return to it and stay focused on it until you notice a shift and another part comes forward, and then you'd stay with it until you could represent it on the page, and then return to it until another one comes forward. in doing that, usually people will map out one circuit of parts, one uh, cluster of parts that are related to each other. Uh, and it's it's very useful for people to do that.
0: So by staying with one, others will naturally emerge?
1: It seems to me. If you can stay in a open, kind of curious self-place, then if you stay with one, something will come up, some other one. Yeah. it 's
0: related to it yeah. that, that makes sense to me, especially considering what we were saying about polarized parts earlier that like if one is like oh i 'm here, then the other one 's going to be not far behind like don 't forget right. about
1: me that 's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> but not just the ones that are polarized you 'll get the ones who protect each other and so on
0: mm. yeah the the work is really so fascinating, and despite having been speaking here now for um, a little over an hour, we're still just scratching the surface. I loved, in particular, the way that you map the relationships between these inner parts as they relate to each other, and then how that's reflected in the, the outer world. And in fact, it seems like that, that was one of your breakthroughs, right? That the sense that you could apply the structural family therapy that people do with the external systems to what's happening within you.
1: Yeah, that's you know that's my background is as a family therapist, particularly structural family therapy, and for you know for an amazing uh, thing, it turns out that this inner system is structured in a very similar way, and so I've become intrigued with the parallels between internal systems and external systems at all different levels, including our country and international relations. And the, the parallels when you really explore them are, are fascinating and, and, and very uh, evident.
0: Yeah, you, you, I think, make the the whole as, is it as within, so without, is that the phrase that-
1: That is, yeah. If, it
0: feels really practical um, yeah, and- Concrete. Yeah, and, and I think getting some experience doing that Within um, is also really helpful in being generative in like the contentious moments that we experience in our lives, whether it's with our partners or our parents or or just in, in the workplace, in the world, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Being genera- generative and generous. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, Dick Schwartz, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I look forward to the next time we can talk and, uh, your work is just so rich and such a valuable contribution to uh, change and growth and and honoring the potential in in us. Uh, I'm so blessed to have you here, so thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Neil. It's uh, an increasing pleasure to talk to you as I get to know you and and also uh, feel your appreciation for it. So I'm happy to do it again.
0: Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do.